Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. Welcome to this week's episode. One of the things I'm finding interesting about doing this podcast is how the podcast episodes come to be. So many of them are people that I'm interested in or I've known, they've been mentors of mine, I reach out to them, but a lot of them are starting to happen in organic conversations that I'm having. Either I'm having a phone conversation or maybe an email with someone and I think, oh, this might be a really good thing to share in the podcast. So this episode came from one of those conversations. I'm really excited to share this person with you. She's a good friend of mine. Her name is Tia Jones and she's a phenomenal natural horsemanship instructor in the Denver area. She's one of the most passionate people that I know, super dedicated to her craft and learning new things. In this conversation, you'll hear a little bit about her journey, how she took a leap of faith to start her business, and some fun stories about some bumps along the way. But the idea of this episode came because of a recent conversation I had with Tia. We were talking on the phone um, and recently she had to say goodbye to an important horse in her life, Rain. And during the conversation, she shared so many ideas with me that I hadn't considered. And I just started thinking, this is something that I really think is important to share that I think would really help some people. So I asked her if she'd be willing to, she said yes and you're about to hear what happened next. Welcome. I'm Thank really you. excited to see you. Thank you. I'm excited to see you too. So um, people may not know this, but you know, we're, we're good friends. And when I decided to do this podcast, I, you were one of the first people I thought of because we often have, you know, these in-depth discussions about horsemanship and you have so many different things that you've taken on as you've gotten into this horse world and yeah. you, you're so passionate about them. And so I just am tickled that you're joining me. I'm so delighted to be here and I'm just fascinated by what you're doing these days and how you're manifesting your own perfect world. And that I even get to be a part of it is just a thrill. So thank you're, you. Yeah, absolutely. You're a huge part of it. So Thank you. Um, so one of the questions I thought of first that I don't know if I would know the answer to is uh, how did you get involved with horses? Okay. So th this is one of those questions that um, people will ask me that. And I, um, as a child, I lived in suburbia and um, we there weren't any horses, but I had some weird horse fascination my entire life. And I remember in elementary school, I carried around one of those really thick, like encyclopedic, encyclopedic kind of books about horses, had all the names of all the colors and the different breeds, and each breed got its own special page. And I would flip through and I knew them all by heart. And um, when I was about five, I used to, I would crawl around and Winnie and I was the oldest sister. I had an older brother, four years older, but I had a sister a year and a half younger than me. And I literally would take the cushions off the couch and I would use a belt and I would fasten the cushion to her and make her give me rides. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was the big sister, I could do it. And I, I have vivid memories of that. Vivid memories of, you know, I, I would be on her back and I'd be like, come on, keep going. I was, not, I was a tyrant, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> we, we did something for Reigns and I would make her put it in her mouth. And, um, and then she'd be like, when do I get a turn? And I would always find a way to, soon, soon, your turn is soon. <laughs> but not yet, it's still my turn. So I just had such a horsey, like for whatever reason, an infatuation from as long as I can remember. 
And I had a very good friend named Kim and um, we would have sleepovers and we would sit and look at horse books all night long. So I didn't really, I don't think I ever really got to sit on a horse until I was 12 or 13. My father, my parents were divorced and um, there was a summer where I think there were two some, I think it was two back-to-back summers. I grew up in Maryland and there was a place in Baltimore where you could literally rent a horse for an hour, like not a dude string ride. You literally, they would tack the horse up and put you on it and just show you, point you to the trail. Wow. I know. I know no place can do that these days. No. I mean, I wasn't even in a helmet, you know? Um, was, and it just, was it just you on a horse? And so just- sometimes it would just me, but sometimes my sister, the one that's close to me, her name is Marla. Mm-hmm. She would go with me. And um, at that point, I had a younger sister, six years younger than me, and she would ride this little pony in the arena and Marla and I would go on the trail. Or sometimes it was just me. I couldn't get enough. And I, that was the summer that I, would, I am so grateful for my father for those experiences because um, it meant the world to me. Like I was the driving force for us spending those days in Baltimore at that farm. And I even remember you could reserve the horse you wanted. And I would reserve this Appaloosa gelding named Danny. And um, I would get to ride Danny. Like, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Cause the, you know, memory of childhood gets really morphed. It feels like I rode him every week for two summers in a row. I'm quite sure that's not what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that it was more like six times. Right. But, um, but I loved it. I mean, I have a picture of me um, sitting on him. Actually, I think it's on Facebook. And uh, it, it, just looking at that picture just lights my heart up. I just remember it so well. That's so cool. I, I, I think it's so interesting how many people's stories start in a similar way. Like, you know, there's lots of people that were born into a horse family. Right. Um, but even those folks, there's something, I don't know, there's something in us because our stories are actually quite similar because I was born in the city. Yeah. But I, from a very young age, I was horse crazy. Yeah. So, um, there, I, you know, some people say it's genetic and, uh, it could, yeah, yeah. we, we say, and you've probably heard that phrase, you either have manure in your blood or you don't, you know, we just have manure in our blood. It's just, there's no way around it. Yeah. And I have a family of three kids and a husband. Um, two of us are horse people and everybody else just tolerates it. Right. And, um, it's just a fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. When I was 18, uh, I was working, I had my own money, and I decided that I really wanted to do lessons. I wanted to actually get back to the horses and um, actually learn something, not just go running around the woods, you know, with no helmet on. I wanted to right. do something more than that. And uh, I took lessons at an English barn for about two months. And it was such a bad experience. I remember mm-hmm. thinking, um, that, wow, the, they've somehow, and it was the trainer that I was working with. She'd somehow taken something that I thought was so magical and made it very mundane, uh, boring, even just, you know, I remember my first time getting there and she said, you're going to use this horse, go get it and tack it up. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to do anything. Right. And, um, I remember feeling like I need help. And she wasn't, she was a little off-putting. She doesn't mm-hmm. didn't really want to be asked for help. And right. so for t- after two months, I just walked away. I was working. It was too hard to earn the money to spend it and not really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So I don't do anything with horses until I moved to Colorado when I'm 32. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I moved to Colorado at 32. At this point, we already have two children. Mm-hmm. And I think I, uh, we weren't pregnant with our third yet. Um, and I went to a place in Colorado called Sombrero Ranch in the foothills. And you can um, go on a, a string ride. 
and they match up with the horse and they kind of ride us out across the prairie kind of setup. And it had, it was my first time on a horse since I was 18. So it was 14 years. And I was like, Oh my God, I belong here. Yeah. And I left that day in the car with my husband and I said, I have to get a horse. I have to have a horse. And he's the best human being. And luckily um, he said, yeah, let's. So we got a horse property. Like within a, within a year, we were living on horse property. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah. So I, again, our stories are similar because I had a long time of not being around horses, um, you know, having them around when I was a kid, then having kind of a hiatus and then having a, a return home. Um, so it's, it's really, that's really interesting. Um, so you guys jump in like with, we do all all four of both of your feet. We do. Yeah. um, And at that time you're working in corporate. Yeah. So, so I have a, I have a degree in electrical engineering and I had at that point, um, I was about 10 years into this high tech career. I was working in speech technology. Um, I had, I was developing code. I was, you know, really, you know, geeking out, having a great career, making a great living. And um, we got that horse property and it was about another year before I actually got a horse. And we didn't have a barn. We had some things to set up and I had some things to learn. But my neighbor had two horses that looked pretty uncared for. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was just a couple doors down across the street. And I put a little letter in his mailbox one day. Hey, I'm your neighbor. If you ever need help with your horses, I would love to help. Um, And he called me like, he must have called me within a couple hours. You know, (laughs) he was like, he did. He was like, come down. I'll show you what to do. Right. You know, and I was like, wow, okay. And he, I went down there. He showed me how to feed them. And he said, I travel a lot. And I would love if you would just feed these horses and clean up in here and you can ride them whenever you want. And I was like, score. And he's thinking the same thing. And he's thinking the same thing. Because yeah. I think he would travel and his wife would do it. And she hated doing it, hated doing it. And he had these two quarter horses. They were fairly aged. Um, and I just didn't know what I was doing. And I, here I am with the responsibility of these two horses and I am not, I am, un, I am incapable. And the journey of having more confidence than knowledge begins. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I felt, I feel a little bad looking back on it because they had to suffer my foibles, you know? But I was so excited just to spend time with them. And they, they, always, they would always nicker when I came. Now, I was the feed bearer, but still, mm-hmm. they, they didn't seem to begrudge me. Yeah. Um, I broke my collarbone on one of them and didn't even know that I had broken it. Oh my God. Um, but it was just, I was very fit. I was a gym rat. I was fit and strong. And I could bounce off the ground and just get back on. And those boys... I'm really uh, grateful for that experience. That's and then I got my first horse, you know? Yeah. That's so, so, cool. That's yeah. so cool. So when along the way did, did it start to um, enter your mind that you wanted to do it professionally? Ooh. Um, so I'll tell you, um, I messed with his horses for about a year and then um, got my own and I had her for about two weeks before I realized I was in way over my head. Uh, I loved to go fast. I would get, we would trail ride every like six days a week, you know? Um, And we would trail ride and canter up the hills And at the top of the hill, she would lift up her front end, throw it down and lift up her back end just right. And I would go off of her. Uh And, um, and I remember calling the people I bought her from like, something's wrong with her. She's just keeps bucking. And uh, they said, you have to get a trainer. 
And I said, I don't need a trainer. I'm just riding the horse. You know, that's how I felt. Like I was right. just so cocky and right. foolish, you know? And um, they said, you have to get a trainer. I was like, oh, I'll try. Right. So I, I actually found a natural horseman. I liked his website. I liked the words he used, the way he talked about things. I was like, that makes sense to me. Um, and I worked with him not for long. And I found RFD TV and everything I watched on RFD TV, I tried. Mm-hmm. And then I started, then I found Pat Pirelli and I started doing Pirelli things. And the next thing I knew, I had a neighbor who would drive by and I'd be out with my horse all the time. Like when I wasn't working, I was with my horse. I had the luxury of working from home my entire career. So I could just step outside, play with my horse, go back to work. Um, And I had a neighbor come to me and say, I want what you have. Will you work with me and my horse? And it never occurred to me before that. She's still my student, you know. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. My original student is still my student. She still comes every week. Um, But I was just out there geeking out and she noticed. And um, that, that was the first time I thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, give me twenty dollars. I'll teach you everything I know. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's how it began. And then um, it just moved on and on and on from there. So and then you, um, you know, one of the things I know about you, we've known each other for over ten years. I um, think like fifteen. Yeah, it's yeah. probably been more like fifteen years. Okay. And um, you are wow, Molly. Good. We've been friends a long time. I know. I know. I um, love you. <laughs> but you're you're such a voracious learner. I think that's one of the things that drew us to each other. Is yeah. we both, you know, we want to get better. We want to keep learning. We have yeah. tons of questions. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, I know that at that time you're, you even said you're trying to get all the knowledge that you could yeah. um, and you've always stayed that way. So you, um, you decide to jump in all the way professionally, you, you leave your job. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I was never you know, like going into engineering and, and being in high tech was really just because I had the aptitude. It was never a passion. Mm-hmm. And when I found the horses and had my first horse, I quickly bought a second horse. Um, it, it, it was very, it was a very short period of time before I realized how am I supposed to do my day job? all I want to do is learn horses and be with the horses and get better with the horses. And my day job became more and more of a distraction for my horse desires. Mm-hmm. And um, it, there came a time where uh, we, we realized as a couple, my husband and I, that if I was really going to be happy, it was going to be me figuring something out where I could do it full-time my days with horses. And it was probably a seven year journey of what are the things I would need to, to do this full time. I was doing, I was helping people in the evenings and on the weekends. And um, I had this little part-time business going. We bought a bigger piece of land, 35 acres. And I pretty quickly started running a little boarding business and, um, I it organically grew. I learned how to trim horses. I'm a barefoot trimmer, and um, people were quick to go. Will you do mine too? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just interesting how, as I imagined it and put some energy into it, the the road was just paved in front of me, and it was just I just had to keep stepping forward, and the doors just opened. And I really believe that's how you know you're on the right path because it's it's like you can't fail. Yeah. Every every morning you wake up and a new possibility just emerges in front of you, and all you have to do is choose to follow it. And that's how it went. I mean, it was that's really cool. And I just want to interject something there because um, 
I, I think I, I agree with you that it, it ends up feeling like things are just opening, mm-hmm. but at the same time, when you, when you look at things, it's not that hard things don't happen and it's yeah. not that doors don't slam in your face. For it's sure. You're so, you're so dedicated to making it happen that you're just like, well, how can I go around it? How can you're I- nonplussed? You're, yeah. That's how I felt. Like every time there was an obstacle, oh, I just have to come up with a different thing. That's all. Like it right. wasn't. It was just never. I really don't remember. Now it could be that if my family was in this talk right now, they go, "Yeah, mom, remember this? Remember that?" I don't right. really remember. <laughs> right. I yeah. just remember it feeling like I had my sail had just caught the wind, and I yeah. was just moving through. My job was very stressful. I traveled. Um, it was just hard. And then I was spending all my spare time trying to squeeze horse time in. Mm-hmm. And it was real. I was really running, burning the candle at both ends, running through my days. And we got to a point where he kept telling me, uh, when you're ready, just do it. When you're ready, just do it. When you're ready, just do it. And actually, um, I finally, we built the indoor arena and I said, I'm ready. And he said, then do it. And I finally put my notice in. My last week, I decided to drive to my friend Molly's house. And I spent, right. <laughs> I spent my first days leaving the tech career at your house. So and it was a big leap of faith. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Huge. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you had quite a few people saying you're doing what you're walking away from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the things that I'm really fascinated by is the learning process. And I know you are too. We've had lots of discussions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of the things that keeps people one from following their dream, like what you did and then the other can can cause them to stop progressing in their horsemanship or other areas of life is when um, learning gets uncomfortable and when you have to kind of struggle to get to get uh, to progress to you know yeah. to get to where you want to be. Yeah. Um, can you think of a time in your journey when you were trying to learn something and it wasn't coming and it was difficult and and what did you what did you do to get to the other side of it? I mean, I feel like I have so many times like that. Um, but I th- I feel like my first really big struggle in this journey was getting through the second level of Pirelli, level two, with a gated horse. Okay, and. Um, I was working with a Pirelli instructor and my mare was, she was a gem of a horse, but I needed her to do things that um, were challenging for her with all the different ways she could land her feet. Right. And she, she had about eight gears in there, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and she could pop any one of them at any time, whether I wanted her to or not. Right. And I remember my, this is back in the days with the Pirelli program where you could pass task by task. And I remember uh, trying to have my horse maintain gait at the trot. And she really didn't and couldn't at that point, or at least she wouldn't for me. I didn't know how to do that. and. Uh, I, I remember my instructor saying to me, you know, she has to trot the whole time. She can't change to a pace. She can't change to a four beat. She has to stay in the trot or you have to do it all in the four beat or all in the pace. Right. Um, and so I worked every day in my outdoor arena, triggering asking her to understand the seat I was using and which gate to give me. And we were getting better and better. I was understanding more and more of what, how I could be different in myself to help her discern the different footfalls and which one I was asking for. And I went out to catch her one day and 
she saw me and she went the other way. And it was one of those times where it's just like, oh, crap. You know, I've put everything I know I'm not supposed to do, putting all of my needs first and foremost and forgetting about this horse's needs. And I was pushing and pushing for my own goal and dragging her along with me. And it was, it was not only was it super humbling, but I, it, 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 it got me, I feel like that's one of the first times in my journey where I truly went, ah, I'm not being a horseman. You know, a, a true horseman doesn't make it so that their horse goes, oh no, here she comes, you know? And um, I actually decided at that point, I was going to continue developing that at the pace that she would allow, but I needed a non gated horse. I needed a horse that wasn't so complicated so that it would be easy for us to do some of these things that should be simple so that I could reach my goals. Um, but also so that I wouldn't ruin the amazing relationship that I had developed up until that point. <laughs> so to me, it was just this, this huge, huge learning curve of understanding that you, it's okay to be ambitious. It's okay to have desires, but there's a partner here, you know, and if they're not wanting to come along with you, then what are you really, what are, what are you really gaining? Right. And it was just a humbling, huge time in my journey that left a big mark. Yeah. Yeah. Left a big mark. And I think, I think that I know I can relate. I'm sure people that are watching or listening can totally relate to that, that moment where you got to get your horse and you're all excited and they are not so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can last for a while until we realize that, okay, something's got to change. I've got yeah. to do something different here. And yeah. you made a huge, a huge shift, right. By saying, this is not my goal um, of getting through this level doesn't match this horse. This horse's amazing talents. Right. You know, right. those are talents. Yeah. Those are talents that I wasn't ready. I didn't have the skill set, knowledge or, or capability of cultivating into what I needed to achieve this goal. And I was running her through the ringer trying, you know, right. I had to admit my inability. Mm -hmm. You know, I think right. a, a better horseman could have done it with her at that point, but sure. not, not who I was. Right. And, right. And this, and the skill level that you have now, you could return to that. It's almost like, you know, you were, you were trying to take her through, uh, we mentioned level two, but it was someone that needed to be level five to be able to take her through. So, yeah. um, and, and have her not resent them, you right. know, right. Like yeah. maybe I could have just drilled it and drilled it and gotten it, but I had, I was losing something that was really the heart of the matter. Right. Which was, right. you know, the, the relationship with the horse. So, right. Now it's time for a short commercial break. I'm excited to share that on November 20th, Shine a Light Productions' next virtual clinic begins. I'll be partnering with Aaron Sauer of Elite Equine Massage LAMP to bring you a four-week learning experience called Winning Your Horse's Heart, Strengthen Your Bond Through Body Work. Aaron has a set of exercises we're calling affections to try with your horse. These affections don't require technical knowledge and are easy to apply and you won't need to worry about getting them wrong. It'll be a fun way to spend time with your horse, learning to do things they love. Learn more at shinealightproductions.net. And now let's get back to the interview. One of the things that we were talking about the other day um, that, you know, you have a really cool perspective and you've had quite a bit of experience with is um, you had to make the decision to say goodbye to one of your horses recently. And, you know, you and I talked about it and I just, I was thinking, you know, I think that this is something that if someone has never had to go through this yet, 
with their horse, or maybe they have, I think it would be, you know, cool for us to, to talk about it. And I even said that to you when we were talking like, Oh, this, yeah. I think we need to do this for the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, um, cause it has all, you know, everything to do with the relationship and thinking about what's best for the horse. And, um, mm -hmm. who is that by the way, in the background, that's Azure. Do I need to get rid of her? No, no, no. And for, because people that are watching, they'll be able to see, but if you're, if you're listening, this is one of Tia's dogs and she just, uh, video bombed, which is totally cool. I love it. She promised um, me that she would stay quiet. So she's doing an awesome yeah. job. <laughs> so, um, so would you mind telling that, telling a bit about that story about what happened with rain? And yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so the the gated horse that I was working on passing level two with is that very horse. Okay. I wonder. And, and um, she was my first horse that I owned of my own. Um, and I learned so much with her and she was such a kind, gentle soul. She helped me teach so many people. Um, and I just, Actually, my logo, um, my logo here on my shirt, that oh. is her. Oh, cool. That is her silhouette. She just was the, I consider her to be the root of everything that I found. Like it all begins with her and me carrying up that hill and her figuring out how to dump me off the top of every hill, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> um, so she, I was really big into endurance uh, at a pretty young age. Now I bought her as a three-year-old and she was well started as a three-year-old. So you can imagine she was ridden pretty young. She was a big mare, probably 16-1, um, a thick, big mare. And um, I'm sh quite sure at two when she was being started and ridden quite a lot, she wasn't she physically ready for that. And subsequently by um, well, and by four, I was doing endurance with her. So this poor girl <laughs> didn't stand a chance as far as her joints were concerned. By six, she had wind puffs. And um, if you're not familiar with wind puffs, um, it's like a, um, it's almost like a permanent swelling in the joint. And it, it's just always there. And she had wind puffs in every joint, but especially the hind. Gated horses, to, be, to give the riders that smooth ride, they take a lot of the shock. They absorb the shock in their hinds. Hmm. And so uh, her hinds were just getting used and used all those years. She was also my daughter's first endurance horse. My daughter did her first, in, her first 25 mile race when she was seven on rain. Wow. Yeah. And, um, I don't think that rain loved endurance that much, but she was just such a kind giving horse. Anyway, um, about a year and a half ago, uh, I just didn't feel like she felt well. And I think one of the challenges and beautiful things about gated horses is that the way they move, they can, they can be harder to, to diagnose lameness. Um, because of, and, and her especially, because she had so many different ways. She wasn't, I wouldn't call her a well-gated horse. Like she, a really well-gated horse will go into a four-beat gate and stay there. And that just wasn't her. Um, but anyway, about a year and a half ago, I had the vet out, wanted him to tell me what he saw. And honestly, he didn't, he wasn't impressed. He didn't think she was that off, but she was. And, and I think, honestly, her gatedness made it hard even for him to put a good assessment on it. I keep my horses on a track system, and I have a boarding facility with a track system as its basis. And every day we call the herd up for grain, and um, they love that time of day. They come thundering up from, you know, the track is about a mile and a third long. And they all come thundering up together. It's quite a sight. And rain for years was first in line. About, um, what, about 
maybe eight or nine months ago, I noticed that she was last in line. And then about two months ago, maybe three months ago, she was 10 minutes late. And I had her on Butte and um, we were, I had the vet back involved and we're trying to evaluate exactly what was going on. And um, the Butte was helping maybe a tiny bit, but about a month, about a month and a half ago, she just, she not only was she late, but she'd walk, she'd stop, she'd walk, she'd stop. Um, When we x-rayed and looked at her hind legs, there were just so many problem areas and I said we just have to let this horse go and it was fascinating because the vet who I have nothing but um, the most admiration for he's a fantastic vet a great people person loves the horses Um, I said we have to let this horse go and he said "What? what what that's not what he expected to hear uh, I said, it's, he said, Tia, we can do IRAP and we can do cortisone and we can, and I said, and by her months of time, what are we going to get her? You know, I know too much at this stage in my horse journey. Uh, I wasn't willing to be the type of owner who would string my horse along, knowing full well that she was not very comfortable. And he accepted that it was hard for him. And he was candid with me. Like, I really, I'm, I feel compelled to start putting medicine into this animal. And I said, I appreciate that you feel that way, but I just, I don't, you know, she's the butte's not touching it, not giving her any real comfort. And uh, if she can't live on this track, she's too sore to have a good life on this track system, then why would I, why would I prolong her life? And um, we had a long talk about it and uh, we had him euthanize her the next morning. Now um, I've had the unfortunate experience of euthanizing many horses here through the years. It's been about, 16 years that I've been doing this boarding and you know it's a part of life horses have to be let go and um it was super fascinating with him and I think it was a big learning experience for him that I was unlike most clients he scheduled himself to come for the euthanasia and he scheduled the um, recovery service they take the body Mm-hmm. to be there while he euthanized so that as soon as he's done euthanizing, the body would be hauled away. And he showed up a little bit late. Life is life. Um, but the recovery service did not show up a little bit late. So they're hovering and he's not even there yet. And that was upsetting for me. And um, I said, you know, doc, we want to stay with the body a little bit. I want the herd to be able to be with the body a little bit. Um, and he felt bad. He said, typically, A, people want to inject their horses with all kinds of stuff and not let them go. B, when it's time to let them go, they want them off the property. You know, they don't want a body there. Right. And um, he said, I should have asked you. He, he felt bad. But I said, this is our time. We need this time. And we sat with that body. And my somehow horses know when they're mine and when they're boarded and my horses were around the body other horses were off living their lives I think they knew what was happening but they didn't feel compelled to be a part of it my main horse his name is Chance uh, a tight nervous horse um, he stayed through the euthanasia and then when she was gone he laid down next to her Right, which you had said had he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Not only does yeah. he not do it, but he doesn't. He's the kind of horse that is not comfortable doing that with people around. Right. Um, and so it was just a fascinating thing, and the whole experience was fascinating. Mm-hmm. I have a picture of my daughter sitting with Rain, with Chance laying next to them. Um, 
I, I, um, I was very moved that day. The poor guy with the recovery service truck just had to wait and I felt bad, but I just wasn't willing to compromise that time. And, and it was about an hour. And um, I took pictures, which might seem morbid. I didn't post them or share them, mm-hmm. but I just, it was such a hard one for us, this whole family. Right. You know, everybody's ridden her, loved right. that mare. Um, and I really believe in the process of letting the herd see. My very first euthanasia, uh, 15 years ago, um, the vet said, the vet that I was using at that point said, let's do it behind the barn because we don't want the horses to know that we're responsible for this death. And I remember at the time thinking, well, that's weird, you know, but I didn't have enough knowledge or thought to challenge that. You know, I, I thought, you know, he's the vet, he must know. But I 100% disagree with that at this point in my journey. They know, they know it's time for that horse to go. They accept death. It's a natural part of life. Um, and they mourn and they have to adjust to the loss of, an, of, a, of a being in their herd and in their environment. Um, and I think it's foolish of us to think that they don't know that we're part of a horse moving on, you right. know? Right. So I don't hide things from my horses. You know, I learned a lot from that experience of that vet thing. Let's do it behind the barn. It didn't feel good, but I couldn't figure out why. Yeah. But now I have my own way of doing things. We're out in the open, whichever horse wants to come and participate can. Um, some there have been a few horses we've let go and no one really even hangs around. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I, this whole process of letting an animal go, making the decision. I mean, it's one of the hardest things that any owner of an animal partner of an animal can do. Um, and it's, it's very individual, right. It's very personal. Mm-hmm. So it, it isn't to say, and I know you're, I know you, you, you don't ever say that this is the way to do it, but this is, these are the things that you've learned. And it's such a, it's such a beautiful story. Um, and that, that you could be there. You were, you know, you were there with her for her whole life and you were there for her at the end. And you had the ability to say, it's time, it's time for it to be over. She was telling you that, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. and you weren't, you weren't then going, I'm not ready, right. you know, and that would be okay too. You know, so that is okay to do too. our best, right? We all do our best and yeah. the horses will be what we need them to be. They'll stay for us and that's okay. I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, we just do what we can, but mm-hmm. I, I think I have the luxury of having experienced enough death with horses at this point that, making the decision was easy. One of the, one of the um, students I was talking, one of my students I was talking to about this, she said, she had just recently let, let her horse go. And she said, once I made the decision, it was easy for me, you know, to move forward, but it took me the longest time to make the decision. And I felt the opposite. Making the decision was the easy part. Mm-hmm. It was living without her that I've struggled with. Right. Right. I still go, I just need to grab rain. Oh, she's not here. Like I still am coping with this life without this horse. Like I would use her to teach. She was amazing at teaching people who had fear. They could get on her and they just, their fear would dissipate and she would make people feel comfortable enough that they could move forward in their, their, fear journey and that's invaluable you know just some of the things she could do and she's yeah. not here anymore i have to find new ways to do things you know right, right. but um but yeah what making the decision was easy yeah it's super yeah. it's super interesting there's so many things going through my mind um with this so if 
if you, if someone was facing this, I'm sure there's someone listening that might be, um, or, you know, maybe five years down the road, they, they are, Uh what, what would you, based on, especially based on what happened with rain, what are some things that you would, what advice would you give to somebody? So the thing I would say is death is okay. You know, be grateful for all the amazing times that you've had and know that your horse will suffer in pain for you. And it's just, you have to really stop and ask yourself, is it worth it for me to have this animal here knowing that there's, a, there's pain that they're enduring? And I think most end-of-life horses are enduring pain. Mm-hmm. Heck, these horses get arthritis. Like, I have a student who was trying to buy a horse, and she looked for a year and a half to find a horse that would have a clean x-ray. All four limbs, clean x-rays. Right. It's a, it's a unicorn. Mm-hmm. You know, they have arthritis, and they have pain, and they live with it. Luckily, they have four legs, so they can offset pain in one with the other three. Right. Um, but we have to do better. I think sometimes I just, I have too many people that I've seen literally keeping their horses alive because mm-hmm. they're not ready. Right. You know, right. It's not, yeah. it's not, um, it's, it's, it's not what we would want someone to do for us. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the other thing, you know, hearing your story and talking to you about it that really hit me, there, there are a couple things. One of them is like giving yourself permission to have, um, I don't know if ritual is the right word, but to have space to do whatever feels right for you. You know, your, your daughter was there, um, the horses were there, um, and, and giving yourself that time. And, Mm -hmm. and then the other thing that I would not have thought of is making sure that you have communicated that plan with your vet Yeah, and, you know, and let them know, you know, I'd, I'd like to have some time with the horse before, you know, it goes. And, um, so make assumptions because most, because I think most people do want it a certain way. They want it that most people like I've watched the horse be taken away. Most people don't even want to be there for the euthanasia. I mean, I've had multiple students who will drop their horse off at the vet for the euthanasia. They don't even want to be there at all. And I think we, we all have to be what we can be and what works for us. There's nothing wrong with taking the horse to the vet and saying, you, you do it. I can't, I can't be there. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Yeah. You know, but I, I just think we, we need to be honest with ourselves and make sure we've really thought it through that this exit for this animal that we've loved so much is what we need it to be. Cause we only get one shot. Right. You know, right. and, and, and I'll say if anyone's listening to this, that hasn't experienced it when the horse injects the phenobarbital it can be a quite um you know it's 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 visually unpleasant right the way a horse goes down is not it's um it's brutal you know it's such a big animal and they fall it's instant you know it's instant and for a lot of people, they just can't imagine their horse. They can't imagine that. And I understand. Right. I can't imagine. I can't imagine my horse going through that without me there. Right. Right. And the other thing too, uh, that, you know, along what you just mentioned is, you know, finding out, like if you've never been through it, finding out what is it like and, you know, educating yourself. Cause I think that, um, I don't know, I, you're one of the first people, people that I've really talked to about all the details, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm told, I've told the story of, I've only been with one horse um, when it was euthanized and it was already laying down. The the issue was this horse couldn't get up on its own. And so Mm -hmm. I'd been going over to help her owner. I'd been going over every morning to help this horse get up. 
Right. And I knew, I knew there was going to come a time when that horse couldn't get up anymore. Right. And I, I was okay with being the one to be there. And, and I, I was, and it was, it was actually a really beautiful experience, but I didn't have to go through that piece of the horse falling to the ground. And so now knowing that, you know, when, when that time comes with one of the horses I have now, I'll be more prepared. Yeah. So, and it's such, it is, it is, I mean, you know, even talking about this, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, I don't know if taboo is the right word, but, you know, talking about death, it's, we don't, we don't tend to talk about it, but I, all of the, the people I was with my grandma when she died, um, the dogs I've been with, I am so grateful that I was there. I mean, it was such a, an amazing experience, um, you know, traumatic, super sad, all of those things, but I wouldn't want it any other way. Right. It's also the amazing is the word because Mm -hmm. you, you know, watching something, someone, a being that you love take its last breath, you know, that is, there is something it's so final and sure it's morose, you know, there's sorrow, but it's also the beginning of something new, you know, that I I don't think I'm a religious person, but I very much believe in a spiritual, in a, in spirituality and Mm -hmm. that, um, there's more than just this existence that we're on. Yeah. And I think of that as, hey, you're free from that body that wasn't serving you anymore. I think about Molly for an, for an, a horse specifically because it's a prey animal and it knows when it's not well that it cannot flee. Right. And that has to add a level of stress just to their daily existence that they know should the mountain lion show up, they're going to get eaten, you know? Right. And that, I, I think that alone is, can be reason enough to let a horse go, that they don't live with that heaviness mm-hmm. that I'm the weak one of the herd, you know, right. Right. <laughs> and make sure you're kind to yourself. You yeah. Know, that you're, that you're really honoring your own boundaries. Right. Um, and that's hard because you don't know until you're in it sometimes, you know, and, little things like the location on the property matters mm-hmm. and just so many things matter. Right. Um, and it's a hard vital part of a horse's life. Life is beautiful. Yeah. But death is a part of life. Yeah. yeah. It, it really, it really is. And um, you know, that's what I, when you started sharing with me, you know, some of the things that you've done afterwards and, and just the, you know, the picture of chance laying there with you and rain Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, all the memories that that brings up all the gratitude that you have for her, all of the people that have been touched by her. You know, I think about, um, just, it's a, it's a, it's a celebration too. It's a, you know, it's a celebration of her life, um, and all the things that she's brought to you. And, and I just, I think that, Again, if anybody's hearing this, I mean, I think like you said, we have to do the best that we can and we have to do what's right for us. And there are, um, you know, possibly going to be times in our life where we're like, you know what? I can't be there. I can't, I can't be a part of this. And that's okay. It's totally okay. Um, But if you can, if you can allow yourself to, to, I don't know, to try to be a part of it, it is, it's just such an amazing thing. and, and then even the grieving process, you know, allowing yourself to experience that and allowing all of the memories that come up and try, you know, we, we all want to not feel uncomfortable, right? So I think there's something in all of us that wants to stuff that aside and not feel those things. But if you, if you allow space for it, um, and I don't know, just really cool things can happen. Really cool things can happen. I mean, it took me several days to do the obligatory posts on social media about right. this there. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Molly, 
I had just so many students pop up pictures of themselves on rain or she was the horse that taught me this or just yeah. the, the anecdotes and the notes and the people who said, wow, you know, I'm so grateful for my time with your horse. I mean, it was such, it was so helpful. It helped me to let her go to just have all these people join in on celebrating what she offered to my whole network. You know, I mean, she was, I've lost horses, but um, she's been the hardest. I would, I mean, they've all been hard. I might just say she's the hardest because it's the most current, but she was really hard. I didn't work for a week. I gave myself all this time and space. Well, she was, part of, she was a part of so many aspects of your life too. I mean, so I didn't know, I think you've mentioned the logo to me, but now seeing it and being reminded of that, I didn't know she was the horse that, you know, when you told in the beginning, she's the one that kept depositing you and, you know, yep. caused you to strive for more yeah. knowledge. You know, yeah. I didn't realize that. So I can imagine that, you know, and she's been with you for so long. So um, long. Yeah. So long. And I, and I, um, you know, I can't imagine not being there for any, like I've had borders horses and the borders couldn't be there. And I've, I've been the one with the horse as they, as they leave their body. Um, and I am happy to do that. And I honor, I have no judgment for people. You know, I have no judgment. We're all just doing the best we can. Right. That's it. You know? Yeah. Yep. But I am okay with the death. And so I can help these horses and be there for these horses and for their owners. You know, there've yeah. been times that I've got, I've got owners sobbing on my shirt as we let their horse go. And I'm happy to be that person. You know, right. it's, it's a gift that I give freely without any hesitation. So which is amazing. Um, yeah, what a gift. I mean, I, I'm thinking about people that might be hearing this. They they might be thinking that, okay, this isn't for me. I can't do this myself, but I'm I need to find a Tia. I need to find mm-hmm. somebody that can help. And they're out there. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, so I think something, something more of these. No, I know I was going to say, but I, I do, I do feel like this is, I hope that, I hope that for, you know, maybe, maybe only one or two people, but that hear this and go, I needed to hear this. I needed, I needed this talked about. And again, yeah, I, I just, so. I don't see this anywhere. Um, so I really, I really appreciate you being willing to, to share it and easy. Uh, yeah. And easy. I, so we have this whole other thing that we're going to talk about, about, um, competition and entry competition. And you've, you as a, as a professional, as an instructor have taken on a whole group of students that you've coached to go through that. So I am wondering if you'd be willing to come back to talk about that. Yeah. I would love to. It is more upbeat. (laughs) Yeah. It's more upbeat. Like for people who are depressed after this one, that one would be better. (laughs) Right. This will, that'll be the antidote. Um, but I just, I think that's such an important thing too, that would yeah. be really cool to share with people. So, um, I would love for you to return. I look forward to it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And for folks that, um, want to reach out to you, you know, maybe yeah. they have questions about what you've talked about or, yeah. um, you're just, I think people can tell you're so fabulous and you're such a dedicated, you're such a dedicated horse woman. Um, but you're also a dedicated, um, instructor. And so if anyone is in the Denver area, um, well, and you travel too, but, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. how could they, how could they reach out to you? So the best, the best way is my business name is heard of two. Okay. And, um, Herdof2.com is my website, or um, I'm pretty active on my Herd of Two business page on Facebook. Cool. So those are the those are the two best ways, and then all my contact info that they would need is is in those two places. Okay, awesome. Uh, and I'll put yeah. those I'll put those in the show notes. I would appreciate. I have it. those now. 
<laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again. Okay. Okay. Thank Have you. Bye. See ya. So I know the topic that we talked about in this episode is not the most fun, but I hope that it was helpful for you to hear. A big thing that came to me when I had the chance to revisit this episode is how grateful I am that I'm in a position where I get to bring these people and these stories to you. I think as humans, there's something deep in us that needs story whether it's to share our own stories or to hear the stories of others. Life's lessons are buried within them, and I am just so grateful that I get to share some of these stories with you. If this is the first of a Learner's Journey podcast that you've listened to, I hope you'll dive into more of them. There's a whole bunch of wonderful stories to hear. And I have a whole bunch of new ones to bring your way in the months to come. This journey of life can be an exhilarating one, but it can also be downright hard sometimes. You aren't alone in the ups and downs. Thank you for spending this time with me, and please keep being you. The world needs you.